From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is former police officer and attorney Francis Springer of Springer Law Firm in Ridgeland. Today we'll talk about policemen. How are they trained to do their jobs and held accountable for doing them? What happens when complaints are filed against the police? What rights do they have? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments. That's 877-672-7464. You can also email us at legalterms at mpbonbuying.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Illegal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is in studio with me. He's a former police officer and attorney, Francis Springer of Springer Law Office in Ridgeland. And today we're going to talk about policemen. How are they trained to do their jobs and held accountable for doing them? What happens when complaints are filed against the police? What rights do they have? You can give us a call if you have any questions or comments about some topics that we're going to be talking about today. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email us at legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita. Good morning. And uh, really excited to have uh, Francis Springer on the show today. Absolutely. We were talking a little bit in the lobby, and it turns out he's a big fan of our show, listens to our podcast. So that's just a reminder to people. You can listen to the uh, In Legal Terms podcast. Just go to mpbonline.org, and you can subscribe. So uh, good morning to you, Francis. Thanks for, thanks for being in today. Good morning, Sharita. Thank you for letting me be here. Dean Gershon, good to hear you this morning, sir. Good to have you. Thank you. So tell us about your time um, as a police officer, um, and I, I know you climbed up the ranks a little bit, but so so tell us, first of all, why you decided to be a police officer, because that is a big decision. It is. It's a, it's a, a big decision. I guess I kind of had a, a respect for law enforcement and police officers since I was a child, and it's one of the things I had always wanted to do. Uh, I went to work for the Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office in Meridian. I was there for a little over 10 years and decided to go to law school, and I went to Mississippi College in Jackson. By the time I realized what was going on, the first year was up, and I couldn't go backwards, had to go forward. So mm-hmm. uh, it's been a, a good trip. I can't say it's it's been bad at all. Uh, I've enjoyed every bit of both of them. I miss policing every now and then, but I love practicing law. So what type of policing did you do? Were you the ones pulling over for tickets? Were you ever in the situation where you had to uh, have a, like routine traffic stops? Definitely, definitely. We uh, The sheriff's office, as most people know, they don't have radar in Mississippi. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of traffic that we worked. Uh, but through my experience, uh, most criminals that burglarize, things like that, they are in vehicles. So the traffic that we tried to work looked for more serious crimes. And, uh, mm-hmm. Definitely we enforced traffic laws where they came in. But uh, we definitely looked beyond that for other criminal activity and, and found a good bit. So you said Mississippi doesn't have radar? What does that uh, mean? Mississippi does, but sheriff's departments can't uh-huh. run radar okay. uh, by statute. I believe there's one county, Lowndes County, that runs radar. I've been told that they got that through 
a local and private bill many, many years ago. I've never confirmed that. I don't practice much in Lowndes County, haven't had a reason, but I did see some radar units in their sheriff's cars when we were at the academy, so I think that is true. Well, uh, talk a little bit about the challenges of being a police officer when it comes to um, hiring, first of all. like What is the process of hiring someone who's going to be trustworthy because we're talking about individuals who are supposed to be serving the people. Um, so let's start with the age. How old do you have to be to be a police officer? Sure. In Mississippi, you have to be 21 years old to be a police officer. Uh, Mississippi has full-time and part-time police officers. Both have to be certified by the state. They have different approaches. The part-time academy is about half the hours of the full-time academy, but it touches on every topic in the full-time academy. The critical issues, the firearms driving, this, that, and the other, they're the same. So those things that are are really pressing in law enforcement that you must be good at, those are the same regardless of if you're full-time, part-time. And there's some auxiliary officers or reserve officers. They're considered part-time and have to maintain the same training as the part-time officers. And Francis, I know with lawyers, we have uh, certain requirements to uh, continue certification through CLE, um, continuing legal education. Do, do police officers have to go through some continuing education after they're certified? Uh, actually, some do and some don't. Statute requires municipal officers, city police officers, and police chiefs to attend in-service training. The hours that are required vary by the number of years of service. And chiefs have to have some more than uh, officers. Chiefs have to have more executive-type training, in-service training officers, obviously more criminal laws, constitutional laws, and patrol tactics. So as I'm just kind of looking over the, the hiring requirements for policemen, it seems and feels very similar to some of the same requirements we had when we were in the military. Uh, so talk about those physical conditions, because, you know, sometimes you, you see folks and you're like, you're a police officer. You know, <laughs> I, I'm extremely petite. And so folks are like, sure. what do you do in the military? So uh, could you talk about uh, the, the physical conditions that, that have to be met? Definitely. Uh, in Mississippi, the statute sets up the what's called the Board of Law Enforcement Board on Law Enforcement Officer Standards and Training. That's a long one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a commission that is set up again by statute. It's made up from appointees from the governor's office, the attorney general, or his appointee. Uh, I believe someone from the Institution of Higher Learning is on there. There's several. It's about 11 members, if I recall correctly. They set the standards for what it takes to be a police officer. And uh, like I said, you have to be 21, a U.S. citizen. You have to be of good physical and mental conditioning. And the academy, it is quasi-military, paramilitary-type academy. There are several across the state. The uh, one I attended, and I guess you would say the one that the state runs, is in uh, just outside Pearl. The qualifications are you have to do a certain number of push-ups. You have to do an agility run, which is about a 20-foot back and forth run around cones and all it's kind of hard to describe oh, i'll show you but i don't think we've got room here and i don't know <laughs> if i could do it right now there's also a trunk flexion where you have to bend and reach and there's a one and a half mile run and the qualifications for those are dependent on age and sex they're different mm-hmm. for a 21 year old versus a 65 year old mm-hmm. and there are some 65 year old police officers that uh, begin later in life mm-hmm. So those things are different. They're different for men, different for women. But they have to be 70% of what the uh, BLEOST, the uh, Board of Law Enforcement Officer Standards and Training, comes up with. 
The only thing I can remember is I had to do 30 to get in the academy and 50 to get out. Oh. I was 26 at the time, and I passed it. So that's the only thing I can really remember. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know you know when you get to that 50 number, you feel pretty good, and that's yes. it. But see, when you watch a show like Cops, you think, oh, man, policemen really have to be in shape uh, to chase criminals. But, you know, is, is that pretty common to have to do a lot of chasing and really use your, your physical training? From time to time, it is. You know, mm-hmm. physical conditioning is very important for several reasons. One is uh, when you do have to apprehend somebody, it's best to be in the best physical condition you can be because you have about 10 to 15 more pounds than probably the person you're chasing. You have a gun belt, you have a vest on, you have boots, a belt. So you're carrying a good bit more weight, so you have to be ready for that. Uh, Additionally, if you do receive an injury, it's much better if you're in good physical condition Mm. to recover from that injury. I hate to think about that, but that's a reality. Now, one thing that I think uh, probably most people are concerned about is are policemen of good moral character? Uh, and I, I'm sure that that's something that is taken into consideration uh, when when the hiring process is happening. But how do you even judge that if a policeman is uh, of good moral character? I mean, only so much can be revealed. That's that's very true. That's something that we want to know as society, you know, that our police officers or people of high character the only way that I believe it can be done is to check that person's background the best you can. Uh, the board does require a criminal background for anybody that's applying to be a police officer. You can have no felony convictions, no pleas of guilt, uh, no pretrial diversion of any felony charges. And you can have no convictions or pleas of guilty of any misdemeanors that involve moral turpitude. So that's not really defined so much by statute, but it is a... a situation that uh, police officers must meet because that's what we want. There's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of power in policing. So you want the right people. Yeah. And some um, police departments, they've been investigated by the uh, attorney general's office and maybe they've found some inconsistencies with the way that certain policemen are policing. How do you assess uh, biases? Say somebody has been on the force for a couple of decades, you know, and their views may have changed from when they first became a a police officer. Is there any way to uh, gauge moral character throughout someone's uh, service? The really the only way I know to gauge it is just by. And sometimes it's after the fact, I guess, by their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know of anyone that requires a continuous or a post-hiring psychological evaluation or anything of that nature. I uh, can't say that wouldn't be a bad idea. But again, you know, what do you look for? There's mm-hmm. there's some things that, that may be indicators that, that wouldn't result in anyone being a bad officer. So it's a, it's a difficult thing to find beforehand Mm -hmm. and unfortunately afterhand sometimes is too late but i think most officers with what they go through they deal with it rather well and uh the majority are are good people doing a good thing for society well if i can interject i know our our profession um unfortunately like every profession we have some uh issues of substance abuse and and uh and depression things like that uh there's support for lawyers through the lawyers and judges assistance programs throughout the country but um is there a similar kind of thing for, for police officers who may be uh, dealing with uh, substance abuse issues and things like that? Not that I'm aware of, uh, Dean Gerson. It's, it's a situation where hopefully the agencies have individual procedures that would address that. I don't know of anything on a statewide level uh, that's a, a qualifier, so to speak, to, to measure that. But the agencies hopefully have policies in place. They have people in there that can 
recognize something that's going on. And police officers, it's kind of, I guess, from being there, you, you tend to trust more police officers than you do others. So I know that there are programs out there run by former officers and all that do help with uh, incidents, if you have mass casualty incidents, things like that. And there are a lot of community programs in uh, different areas that, that help with that as well. Uh, it's a lot better than it used to be. I think I, I can say that. Um, can you speak to, you mentioned, um, you know, that the police officers do very well for some of the things that they go through. Can you speak to uh, the idea of people being a little more sensitive to what police officers go through? I mean, they are put in, in some extremely dangerous positions on a daily basis and they never know what's coming. Uh, so could you kind of speak to that a little, having, having been um, a police officer before and, you know, sometimes we'll see something in the news, a, a cop does something bad and then it's all policemen are pigs. And I think that's a, a, a very unfair blanket statement to make. But what are some things that, you know, happen that we don't see that they're that that are not put in the news? There are a lot of things that happen that don't make the news. Uh, certain types of, of instances police officers go to, I know the, probably the primary thing is, is suicides. Those don't make a lot of news because that is a, a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's tough for a family of that. I know that some of the, some of the most delicate scenes I have been on were, were suicides and they never make the news, but it's very, very tolling on the officers mm-hmm. uh, because it's a, it's an end that uh, nobody wants anyone to come to. Uh, most of your homicides, uh, mass casualties, those do make the media, so you do see those. And as far as officers that, that do get uh, caught doing something they shouldn't do, that hits the media as well because mm-hmm. that's not expected. That's not uh, something that society wants and, and, and really, truly shouldn't uh, shouldn't expect, shouldn't settle for. That needs mm-hmm. to be corrected. So those do get the attention. My experience as a police officer and as a lawyer uh, representing police officers, those are the vast minority of officers. There are many more good ones that are doing good, but the good things they do, the helping people find where they're going, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, just small things every day, those don't get the attention. But yeah. that's what officers are out there trying to do, in my opinion. Most of them are trying to help the citizens have a better life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. Attorney Francis Springer is in with us today. He's a former police officer. Also, Professor Richard Gershon is on with us today. And we are talking about uh, policemen, how they are trained to do their jobs and held accountable for doing them. Uh, We'll talk about what happens when complaints are filed against police officers. What rights do they have? If you have any questions or comments about the lives of police officers, uh, how their occupation works, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. Any questions you might have as a citizen, and how you are supposed to uh, behave around police officers. 877-672-7464 is the number. That's 877-MPB-RING. Or email us at legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Illegal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Sherita Brent, joined in studio today by Francis Springer of Springer Law Office in Ridgeland. He's also a former police officer, and uh, we are talking a little bit today about the rights of police officers, uh, their jobs, and how they're held accountable for doing their jobs, uh, what happens when complaints are filed against the police, what rights do they have, and Professor Richard Gershon is on with us as well. And uh, we are wanting you to give us a call and let us know if you have any questions or comments about the role of police officers. Uh, what are your rights as a citizen when it comes to police encounters? You can call us as eight at 877-MPB-RING. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org if you have any comments or questions. Um, so we did have um, an email that was asking about the city uh, police making stops outside of city limits. So recently, uh, the city of Clinton <clears throat> Police Department chased a suspect into Jackson city limits. And uh, I think the, a situation like this happened last year, and an innocent bystander was killed during the chase. It was, yes. I recall that. So what what are the laws regarding chases into city limits, uh, you know, if, if you are not the, the residing police officer there? Generally, the law of hot pursuit allows a police officer to chase someone that um, they believe has committed a crime basically anywhere. They can go into another city. They can go into a county. They can even cross state lines. Uh, the only place that I know of that they have to stop is if they hit uh, tribal lands, the mm-hmm. reservations, because they have no jurisdiction there through uh, the sovereignty of the, the different nations there. Uh, but as far as Clinton going into Jackson, there's nothing in the law that would stop that. Okay, because I had read somewhere that if it were a felony offense, then that would be reason. But if it were a misdemeanor, that you couldn't cross the city limits. It depends on the agency and the mm-hmm. agency's policy. Again, there's nothing in law that, that says they have to act one way or the other in a pursuit. But the agency, I believe Jackson, has a, a policy that they only pursue nonviolent felons. Uh, some agencies chase for anything, no tag, this, that, and the other. Hmm. Uh, my agency, we had a policy on it, and it was fairly strict. Uh, but the way I operated, it would have to be worth me having my family hit to chase someone. And I called off several pursuits. And uh, it's just, to me, it's a very, very, there are too many cars on the road. There are too many innocent people that can be hurt, and that's not the job, in my opinion, of law enforcement. You do want to protect society, but there are very few, in my opinion, people that have to be gotten immediately. Mm -hmm. If you know who the person is, or even if you don't, you've got some ideas, you can investigate that later, especially for smaller crimes, shoplifting, things like that. But it's up to the agency, and there's nothing in the law that prevents them from chasing. So in the event that an innocent bystander is killed, like what happened in Jackson, is that a wrongful wrongful death situation? Uh, Is the the chasing police officer, are they they held accountable, or or what? It, It probably will result in a lawsuit. For wrongful death, uh, for there, there are various things that could also be brought into that. Negligent hiring, negligent retention. The officer is going to be looked at very, very closely. Uh, that's where you know people in my profession, again, come in uh, to the picture. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it is the job of everyone to guard the government. And uh, in this in this country, the government has a very heavy hand at times. And, and it, that's necessary. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, they can be abused. So the justice system, the civil justice system, helps to monitor that. And uh, in cases like that, there could be some litigation from a wrongful death suit. 
Um, when we were talking about hiring and, and police officers doing their jobs, I was curious, um, do you think it is important for a police force to uh, kind of reflect or mirror the demographics that are present in a community. Um, I've heard people say before that, well, if this is a, a predominantly black neighborhood, we want black police officers that can relate and maybe understand the issues better. Um, is that an effort at some police and uh, in, in some police forces or not? I think it is. Um, I think there's definitely some merit to that. Um, rightfully, wrongfully, better or for worse, some people just identify better with someone that's, that has their things in common, men with men, women with women, some African-Americans with African-Americans. But at the same time, I've run into cases where they want somebody totally different. So in, in reality, that's a hard thing. I, I would like to hope that officers see people as people and not as, as their race or gender or anything other than that. And um, if that were to be the case, I don't think there would be any argument for however many they have of, of this race or that race or this sex or that sex. Uh, I think the only time that really comes into play is when there's perceived uh, injustices and it mm -hmm. kind of relates back to that. So uh, talking a little bit more about those uh, perceived injustices, things have been kind of tense uh, lately. I mean, always, but lately things have been tense between uh, police officers in the community and, and certain things happening, um, like the, the killing of unarmed black, those high pro profile cases, right. of the killing of unarmed um, uh, black people. Could you uh, talk about, uh, we're, we're going to get into the firing, we talked about the, the hiring, but uh, for what reasons could a police officer be fired? Um, what does it take to, to acknowledge some wrongdoing? In Mississippi, unless the officer has civil service protection, and there are only very few agencies that have that, Jackson, Meridian, Columbus, larger cities like that, a police officer can be fired for good reason, bad reason, or no reason at all. They're just like any other employee in Mississippi, which is an at-will state. Mm -hmm. uh, contrary to that, they can resign at any time. They don't have to stay working for that employer. Uh, with civil service, the firing has to be shown. They can appeal a firing to the Civil Service Commission, at which time they will get a due process hearing. Uh, there was an effort a while back to get a due process hearing for all police officers because there have been some cases where officers have felt like they've been fired for arresting the wrong person writing the wrong person a ticket. Um, you know, with a due process hearing in a court, that would hopefully be stopped if it is going on. Uh, but right now, police officers have very little job security that any other employee doesn't have if they're not civil service in the state or uh, local systems. Uh, uh, Professor Gershon, did you have any additional thoughts? No, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, these are uh, people who are doing their job, and... Um, they, you know, for the most part, as Francis said, I think do, do a good job. Obviously, I, you know, in terms of the, the question about, um, the, you know, putting uh, uh, African American officers in African American communities, I almost think it's even more important to have just somebody that the community trusts, somebody that they get to know, some consistency. You know, I think what happened in Ferguson, it, it probably felt like to that community there was a, an occupying force there because they really didn't know those police officers. Where you see good results, I think, is when you've got someone who is, uh, uh, you know, a, a beat officer who knows the people in the community. So if they see a kid who's, you know, 16, 17, 18, getting in trouble, instead of arresting him, they may say, hey, you know, I know your family. Uh, you know, you, you know they're not going to be pleased with your behavior. Uh, you know, that, that builds a level of trust, and it doesn't raise to the level of, uh, of, of distrust that we've seen in some circumstances.
Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Uh, people, regardless really of who they are or what they are, if they're respected as a person, uh, that goes a long way. They mm -hmm. understand sometimes they will be arrested. But if you do it right, respect them, that will go a long way for them and the community. All right, we need to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. We have uh, Francis Springer, attorney and counselor at law, who's speaking with us about uh, the roles of policemen. If you have any questions or comments about the roles of policemen, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. If you're wondering what are your rights as a citizen when it comes to uh, dealing with the police, call us at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open, 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is former police officer and attorney Francis Springer of Springer Law Office in Ridgeland. And today we're talking about policemen how they're trained to do their jobs and held accountable for doing them. If you want to give us a call at 877-MPB-RING with any questions you may have about policemen, their roles uh, in the community, you can give us a call. If you have any questions about your rights as a citizen when it comes to encounters with the policemen, call us at 877-672-7464. We do have some lines open. That number is 877-MPB-RING, or you can email legalterms at mpbonline.org. So we were uh, going to talk about that that question. Uh, it was a question more about jurisdiction um, as, as opposed to a hot pursuit. So can a police a police officer stop someone if they're out of the jurisdiction, quote unquote? Right. Uh, generally, no. You know, police officers' jurisdiction stops at the end of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, the county stops at the end of the county. Uh, that being said, there has been at least one case that made it to the Mississippi Supreme Court where a person was stopped by a city officer outside of that city. Actually, it resulted in a short pursuit. Uh, it was a felony arrest. The Supreme Court came back and said that, well, let me back up. The officer said he wasn't sure if he was in his city or not when the pursuit began. The Supreme Court said that they're not going to second-guess an officer in that regard and uh, if he believes he was in the city or if I think it's kind of a gray area, but generally the legislature has not extended that authority beyond the jurisdictional limits of the town, city, or the county. Mm -hmm. so, Go ahead, Professor Gershon. What, what you know, we hear about citizens' arrest. I mean, is that a real thing? Or Because it seems like you know, we, as citizens, we don't have particularly jurisdictions, but if I see someone committing a crime, do I have any ability to, to stop them? Um, you don't have a duty to stop them, but as a citizen, you can make an arrest in Mississippi for two specific crimes. One is a felony that you witness, and the other is a breach of the peace that you witness. Now, I'm not saying it's a good idea for a citizen to do that. Just I to, mean, well, the um, average citizen doesn't have handcuffs, so how do you do this? That's one of the problems <laughs> you run into, because the police are likely to show up. They're mm -hmm. not going to know the good guys from the bad guys. I've seen some instances not personally, but in training where an officer was shot on the side of the road, some truck drivers stopped to help the officer. Mm -hmm. They knew they were good guys. They even knew who the bad guys was, or excuse me, the bad guy was. When the responding troopers got there, they didn't know who was who. Mm -hmm. And some good guys almost died, but wow. they finally got down like they were told to. So if you do become in an instance like that where you have to do something to assist an officer, 
uh, which is another thing by law a citizen can do. If an officer directs you to help them, you are bound by law to help them. That would be the only exception to uh, the arrest, that, uh, like you were talking about Professor Gershon. And uh, the best thing to do, though, for safety is to do exactly what the officer says. Wow. Uh, Jewel is in Jackson with a question. Good morning to you, Jewel. What do you have for us today? Hello, Jewel. You're on Hello. the air. Hey. Oh, okay. I was calling to uh, answer a couple of questions. And, but, but first, making a statement, I, I just think the police unions, uh, I think every job should have a, a union like the police unions because they don't get fired. Judges don't get fired. I think those about the two occupations that can't uh, just say it's hard to get fired from. And I think about the school teachers. They can, uh, the lady pushed the little kid or something, and she got fired on the spot. And it's just so easy for anybody on another job to get fired, but you got to spend taxpayer money constantly uh, defending a policeman when he does something wrong. So I think it should be the same way with, with teachers and, and uh, other people on their job. And then uh, because laws, I think about when the uh, legislators and people make the laws, those laws are just made for certain people, and they know it because they, are, they basically will never be stopped for doing anything. And then the same thing you do, I mean, if you do something, you get stopped, put in jail, cost you money, uh, you know, whatever. You, you're constantly out of money. And I think about the Jackson probably got about four or 500 police with Hines County. And you think about all of them probably have to write tickets and two or three tickets a day. And just think about how much money that takes out of our communities and whatnot. Hmm. And then another thing, I watched the uh, police up there on McDowell road at, at Terry Road where the school's on. We don't have a uh, cross guard up there, but they they block the traffic off. To, and they're supposed to make the traffic move swiftly, but they block the traffic off. So, what do you do? Okay. All right. So, you touched on a lot of things, Jewel. Uh, so, pace yourself. <laughs> well, I understand the concern. Uh, one of the, I guess, deficiencies, if, if that's the right word, excuse me, in being a police officer, uh, you basically get 12 weeks of training if you're a local officer. If you're a highway patrolman, you get about twice that. Uh, that's not a lot of time to learn the law. That's not a lot of time to learn a lot of procedures. So a good bit of that comes actually working on the street. Uh, are police officers robots where they arrest everybody equally no matter what? No, not at all. Like Professor Gershom was talking about a moment ago, they see the kid that technically violates the law. They have the option of trying to handle that through the system or outside the system. Uh, police officers have what's called officer discretion in writing tickets and making arrests. There are very few crimes that a, an arrest has to be made, one of those being domestic violence. Officer has no choice if they see evidence of domestic violence. But beyond that, the officer has discretion. Can you say that personal biases of the officers don't come into play? I don't think so because they are human. Uh, whether they should or not is definitely a different story. Uh, so she was talking about how hard it is for police officers to get fired. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, I don't say it's hard at all because mm. uh, I've, I've had several that I've represented that have just been fired on the spot. So it depends on the agency. Again, even with civil service, you can be fired immediately. You have the right to have that appealed and possibly overturn, but uh, firing in Mississippi of police officers is not hard at all. 
And I guess like on a, on a national level, you may see something about a police shooting and then it says they're suspended with pay or they're reassigned. And so that may be contributing to that idea that, well, no, police officers aren't fired, um, you know, but why is it that 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 happens? I mean, to that point, it does seem like it is hard for them to get fired. Sure, sure. I can understand that. Oh, police officers carry guns. They understand that sometimes they will have to use those guns. As a society, we understand that as well because the law allows them to do that. Uh, the only way to counter someone that has a gun uh, effectively is with another gun. So when the officer does have a use of force with a firearm, it's, it's very common for them to be put on administrative leave. Uh, that's a high-pressure situation. They may not be comfortable going right back out to work. Some are, some aren't. I've known some officers that had to get out of the profession altogether. They just couldn't go back to work. Some could go back to work that afternoon. So it depends. But they shouldn't be penalized because they are making money doing the job. That's their profession. So they shouldn't be penalized until they're found to have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And the perception that, that you and I see on television is just one small scope of what actually happened. I've seen a lot of videos that are concerning, but most of those videos take place after an incident's already happened, so we don't know the full extent of what's going on. We don't know what the officer had in his peripheral vision. We don't know how many people were around. We don't know what the officer viewed. And that's what the courts look at, is what the reasonable officer would have perceived and how they would have responded. It's easy for me to sit back and say, oh, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. It's even easier for people who've never been in law enforcement to say this or that. But in all fairness to the police officers that we invest a lot of money in, uh, they are generally making the best decisions they can. Are there some that do the totally wrong thing? Yes. And that's where video does come in handy. And Mississippi is getting much better with video. Many, do we have dash cams here? Uh, some agencies do and some don't. Uh, what about body cams? Many are getting body cams, and, and they're rather good. I've been impressed with the technology that's there. Uh, we had our first in-car videos in 1998. Mm -hmm. My sheriff was a stickler for documentation. And I got to a point where I didn't want to work if, I, if mine wasn't working. I wanted that to show why I did what I did. So the, the video is very, very helpful. Um, now I wanted to ask, is it legal for citizens to record a police incident, uh, incident with, a, with another citizen? Because I've seen things where police officers are like, put that phone away. So it, can we record or can we not? In Mississippi, yes, you can. Oh, okay. there's, there's nothing that says you can't. Uh, is it a good idea? It may be, you know, because, again, you know, there there's, should be nothing to hide. There mm -hmm. should be nothing short of some intense investigations that are usually not witnessed by people that would be considered confidential. So, you know, if a person sees something that they feel like they want to record for whatever reason, that's their right. Now, um, you mentioned, uh, you know, using a firearm, policemen using a firearm. We talked earlier about training. Are policemen trained to use hand-to-hand -hand combat first and then the taser and then the weapon? Or do they just have to react based on the threat that they perceive? Excellent question. It's, it's, it could be both. There is what's known as the use of force continuum. It starts out basically with the officer presence. I know if anyone's like me, when they see a police officer, they get a little bit more attentive to what's going on. Or afraid, nervous. I know I do. Sure. Even at sure. the red light. It's Even so if you're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> right. it's, just, it's just that thought that there's the authority figure. <clears throat> I had the same thought when I was a little boy going in the cookie jar and mama came around the corner. You mm -hmm. know, I was, what was I doing? 
Uh, so, yes, there's a use of force continuum, and the officer should react with an equal amount of force. Um, someone with a stick doesn't necessarily need to be shot. I say not necessarily because situation could determine that it did need to be. Uh, but if the officer uses more force than is reasonably necessary, that's going to be a problem. And like I said, it goes from basically officer presence up to the use of lethal force. Mm-hmm. Dean Gershon, did you have anything? Well, I just wanted to, you know, I think that uh, Francis made great points. And one one thing, going back to the firing, uh, just, just to touch on that for a second, you know, having, I, having been a manager uh, in, in my past life, it, firing somebody is really hard. You know, it really is. And, that, and that's, you know, you, you're, you're talking about in the abstract, maybe somebody says, hey, you know, they got to be fired. But when you're talking about real human beings, you want to give them a chance to fix whatever problem it is. Uh, you know, this is their livelihood. You want to work with them, if at all possible. And I have in, the, in, in you know, previous times had to fire people. But that's a really difficult situation. So that's true whether it's a police officer. It's true whether it's uh, someone who is an administrative staff person. Really, that's not an easy thing to do. Most of the firings that I see have come after other discipline. Uh, they can be suspended, written up, while suspensions I've seen go as high as 30 days without pay. Uh, so there are some serious implications that can come to a police officer from using uh, the wrong thing. But, but firing is the most severe. And like uh, Professor Gerson said, it should be done only when necessary. Um, and also, Attorney, you, you mentioned the word compliance. Um, can you talk about what is the right way to comply when you're in a situation with a policeman? Because they have brochures out that say, well, these are your rights when you are encountering a policeman. You can resist this. You can say no to this. And I don't always think that that's a good idea, especially for me being a young woman. Um, I, I probably would just comply. So where is the balance between knowing your rights as a citizen and complying? That's the... They say the $64,000 question, that's the tough one. Hmm. We do live in what we consider a free society, free from government overstep. At the same time, we do have to obey the orders, the lawful orders of a police officer. We're not the judge. If we're on the street, usually the officer is going to be right. In court, that may not be the case. So as far as one can safely do, and if you know your rights... You can stand up for them, but be wary that that officer has got the power. He's going to have the law on his side more times than not. Um, as they say, the side of the road in Rankin County is nowhere to argue criminal, or excuse me, constitutional law with a police officer. Hmm. So the best rule of thumb, I think, is to obey the officer. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we get back. We have one call to get to and we have several lines open if you want to join the conversation. We've been speaking this morning with attorney Francis Springer. He's a former police officer and we've been talking about the roles of police officers, how they are trained and how they are held accountable for doing their jobs. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about uh, police officers' rights or your rights as a citizen. How are you supposed to engage a police officer? 877-MPB-RING is the number. 877 877- 672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms at MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Francis Springer, attorney and counselor at law. And Professor Richard Gershon is on the line with us as well. Today we've been talking about policemen, how they are trained to do their jobs, how they are held accountable, what happens when complaints are filed against policemen. And finally, we have some calls to get to. So we are going to go first to Betty in Jackson, who has an open carry question. Good morning to you, Betty. Good morning. Hey, what do you have for us? When a person is stopped, when and how is it appropriate to inform the officer that they have a gun in the car without causing a difficult situation? Mm, that's a great question, Betty. Thank you. That's a common question as well. I, I hear that from, from many people. It's basically up to the individual to tell the officer it's not illegal for an average citizen to have a firearm in a vehicle in Mississippi. Uh, of course, convicted felons can't have firearms otherwise, but if you can otherwise own a firearm, you can have it in your vehicle. If it's somewhere the officer may see it, you might want to let him know. If it's in uh, a closed compartment somewhere, that's not illegal, so it's really nothing to discuss. Uh, you definitely don't reach for a firearm. You don't reach for it even if you're going to show it to the officer. You just tell the officer where it is if you decide to do that and keep your hands where the officer can see your hands because uh, you don't want to start on an officer and, and get hurt thinking you're reaching for a gun. Okay, Betty, thank you. 877-MPB-RING uh, is the number if you want to uh, join the conversation, if you have any questions about your rights as a citizen uh, when getting pulled over by policemen or policemen's rights, uh, call us at 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We do have some lines open if you want to join the conversation, 877-MPB-RING. Can we kind of expand on that and, and go back to the use of force that we were talking about? I think yes. I kind of got off on one level of force. Uh, the use of force continuum goes from officer presence all the way up to lethal force. Mm -hmm. Generally, there is a progression there. You go to hands-on, you go to like OC taser, and then you go to the firearm if you have to, or lethal force. There's nothing that says you have to take every step. So an officer showing up at a scene could technically go straight to lethal force if the situation demands it. He doesn't necessarily have to announce himself or challenge the person to put the weapon down because it may be too late by then. So it's the officer's discretion again, but they have to justify why they did what they did. You know, we were just uh, talking to Betty and I'm immediately reminded of the Philando Castile case um, when he, well, this is what the video showed. I mean, we don't really know what happened, but he told the officer, I have a weapon. This is where it is. And then the officer shot him. And so that makes me wonder, should you even announce that you have a weapon in the car if you absolutely don't have to? Uh, you definitely have the right to remain silent in any circumstance. You don't okay. have to announce that. And again, you know, if you're caught with a weapon, it's not illegal. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's better just to let the officer write a citation or whatever they're going to do and just go on your way. Okay. Um, all right. Well, Sam has walked away from the uh, board. Okay. Hold on. Uh, uh, Peter is in Hattiesburg and has a comment. Good morning to you, Peter. What do you have for us? Yes. I'm... I'm my question is we're, we're constantly told that the majority of police officers are good and, and not problematic, and the, the problematic ones are really just a tiny minority. Well, these majority of good officers 
know who the racists are, and they know who the abusers are, and even just the people who probably shouldn't be carrying a gun for a living. Why is it such a problem to get rid of these very few bad officers? Uh, good question, Peter. And, and we'll... Do they have any recommendations on, on you know, what to do about it? Because constantly when it comes up with things like civilian oversight commissions, the police fight it. Okay. And uh, I think whistleblowing, I think, is, is something that cops are protected against if they... Right, right. The whistleblowing would be something they would be protected against under federal law, mostly. Uh, and, and again, under state law, you can't be fired. That's an exception to the at-will status for, for whistleblowing of criminal actions. Well, why is it so infrequent that any of them actually do if the majority of police officers are good and honest? That's a that's a very difficult question. Again, people are people. Uh, they have various reasons for not doing you know what they well, don't well, do. There's there. a very outsider to this thought. You there's a, there's in there personally. There's a very tight knit brotherhood, if you will, within police officers. There there are times when you will be in a situation where your life depends on your other officer, mm. and you know could that influence it? I think so. Uh, is it right? No. But again, police officers are human. They're not machines. They're not all uh, programmed how to act. So reality is reality. Unfortunately. I've heard the same thing. You know, interestingly enough, I um, had a conversation with a, a doctor uh, who was upset. You know, the doctors are ever sued for malpractice. And I said to him, do you know of doctors who should not be practicing medicine right now? And he said, yeah, I do. I said, well, what do you do about it? And he said, uh, we, we get them uh, sent to other hospitals so they're not in our hospital anymore. So I think, you know, it's not it's a human problem. It really is that we don't want to deal with issues in our own professions. But it's a good question uh, that the caller had. All right, thank you for that call, Peter. We appreciate it. We go next to Joseph and Olive Branch, who has a question. Good morning to you, Joseph. What do you have for us? Well, I just had a quick question about, like, if you get pulled over in Memphis and somebody's illegal, what is the uh, process? I mean, do they automatically arrest them, or what is the process when it comes down to it? Okay, what was the question again? You get stopped and somebody's what? Yes, sir. When somebody's driving in, let's say, Mississippi, and they don't have any papers or stuff like that, what is the process when it comes to the police officers? Do they arrest them immediately, or do they give them a citation? What is the process? Okay, I'm assuming you're, you're meaning about citizenship-type papers? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Um, there's no law in Mississippi or, or anywhere that I'm familiar with that says you have to carry an ID. If you're driving, you do have to produce an operator's license upon the demand of a police officer. Uh, it's up to the officer. Generally, local and state police officers don't enforce immigration laws. Uh, they don't make arrests for people that they believe are undocumented, so to speak. Uh, but if there is another crime or an infraction that has been committed, they can make an arrest based on that. They can issue a citation. And then if they have reason to believe that person is undocumented, they can contact the federal authorities to follow through with that. All right, Joseph, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, last call goes to Don in Tunica. Don, we have about a minute. You can go ahead. Okay, what I wanted to know is, you you know, because I drive 18 wheelers, and if a local cop, do a local cop certified to pull you over and inspect you, and do we have the right to ask them, are they certified to, to do that? Uh, definitely, you have the right to ask them. Um, as far as inspecting commercial vehicles, the only officers I know that do that are Highway Patrolmen and the Mississippi Department of Transportation. I'm not aware, and there may be, but I'm not aware of any city or county officers that conduct inspections of commercial vehicles. 
Uh, but you definitely have the right to ask that officer anything, including that. Okay, Don, thank you for your call. We appreciate it, and be safe out there driving that huge 18-wheeler. All right, uh, well, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, Attorney, did you have any closing thoughts? Uh, Again, I would just like to thank you and Professor Gershon for this opportunity. It's it's great. Mississippi Public Broadcasting is great. We need this around because uh, people need to know what their rights are in legal terms. is awesome. Absolutely. I agree. And don't forget, you can listen to the In Legal Terms podcast. All you have to do is go on mpbonline.org to subscribe. We are currently, I think we're like second in podcast uh, listens. (laughs) Are are we number one? We're number one. Yes. Thank you. So continue to subscribe. Thank you so much. Uh, Sam Wells was our board operator. Kevin Farrell was our call screener. Thank you, Attorney Springer, for being here. And thank you as well, Professor Gershon, for being on today. Stay tuned to Southern Remedy uh, with Dr. Susan Buttress is coming up next right here on MPB Think Radio.